Morning. Good to see you guys. Turn to Job chapter 42 for me. Job is right before the middle of the Bible. Job chapter 42. We're going to start by hearing from God's word. Job 42, starting in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I need some prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your word. Lord, we are sinful people, and may your word be to us both a challenge and a word of grace. And many of us are people who are sorrowful. May your word be to us a comfort. And I pray as I stand here both as a sinful person and a sorrowful person that your word would be those things to me and through me. Amen. So yeah, last week, Pastor Ben, if you weren't here, started a sermon series for you guys on doubt. And as we talked about me being back this week, uh, he, he asked me to go ahead and preach a sermon on doubt and suffering. And I listened last week to his to know what was going on. And he, he, he said, he's going on sabbatical in a few weeks. He was like, I feel like I'm throwing a grenade like into the, you know, the middle of things and then I'm getting out of there. And I'm like, man, I'm guest preaching about suffering. <laughs> like, I really feel that sense. But first of all, being back at Grace is always interesting because I feel like some of you guys have known me for a long time, like since I was 19. And I'm sorry for, for you guys, but. Um, and then another group of you guys, you know, I got to know or know me in different ways when I worked here in a season of life. And then if you started coming here in the last five years, you don't know me at all. And so here's, I started going to Grace in 2004, um, back in the wild days when, yeah. And, and yeah, so I was attending in that time and all through college, I went to Grace. I started dating my wife. While I was going there in college, and I have a fond memory of Mike Shu, who was the original pastor at Grace Chapel, calling me into his office and being like, so you're dating Elizabeth? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, don't be an idiot. And that was, that was all of the pastoral advice I got about the relationship. But, but we got engaged in the old Grace Chapel building in the Geneva coffee room there and got married in that building. And then we went off to seminary. And during seminary, I feel like, is when we started having to process through harder stuff. Our, uh, my oldest, Rebecca, my daughter, uh, was born at 26 weeks, which, if you're a dude who hasn't had kids yet, is really early. Um, but we spent five months in the hospital with her, and there was just a lot of hard medical stuff. And that was, I think, the first time that we processed through mortality and grief and suffering. And then right at the end of seminary, because of complications with our second pregnancy... We had to drop everything, and Elizabeth went on strict bed rest, and we moved back to Nebraska, first into my parents' basement, and then into Lincoln, and spent four years back here then. 
I started working at Grace Chapel during that time and ended up being an assistant pastor here. That was the wild days before like Victor and Isaac and when the only competent person on stage was ever Crystal. But um, I also was working at the Super Target down south. Some of you guys would come see me there and I have a lot of fond memories of that season. But in many ways, that, especially the early part of that season was also, we were just reeling from, you know, the last couple of years and processing through stuff, but then came to a point where we're looking forward and applying for calls, which is what pastors say because they don't want to say they're applying for jobs. But we got a job in Illinois and um, we're gearing up to move out and we're excited. And then a month before we moved, uh, took Elizabeth in for what was supposed to be a routine colonoscopy. And I remember, like, took the kids to the park, went to pick her up. And uh, she had complications, and it turned out she had complications because her intestine had gotten punctured, and her intestine got punctured because there was a huge tumor growing through her intestines. And so we went in like 12 hours from dropping her off to like emergency surgery, and you know, and then the next day finding out she had late stage three cancer. And we moved to Illinois anyway. And Kish, the church I pastor out there, has been just a beautiful place in so many ways in terms of practical care and support and loving and walking with us through that suffering. But like, you know, we started chemo the week that we moved out there and went through six months of that and then a season of waiting, which any of you that have had cancer know that season. But for us was especially acute because the type of cancer Elizabeth had, if it didn't recur, then you're good. And if it did recur, it means it's terminal. And it did recur. It came back. And so then the Lord very graciously, a little over three years, gave us um, still after that diagnosis, which was more than we expected, and a lot more time than we expected after we stopped treatment, after doing some chemo and stuff that stopped working. And so we traveled and did ministry together, and there was many sweet things about that years. And then in her final months, Elizabeth's health declined. Some of you guys that have walked through that with people know, you know, by that, the end, they're, you know, they're kind of in and out of consciousness, and then out of consciousness, and she was able to die at home, and me and the kids were able to be in there with her and sang um, over her as she went, and then she was gone, and then more time went on. Like, that's the weird thing is I tell that story, but I'm like, and now, you know, six months into the next season and figuring that out and figuring out what it even means to be, like, you know, a single person, a single dad, a widower, all these things that are, like, alien to me, and... And also, like, you know, moving into a place where you, you are recognizing, like, yeah, I, like, I have a future and dreams, and there's these things that I look forward to, but also, like, I'm wounded in these deep ways, and there's these ways that I'm scarred by this and will be for uh, forever. And I say all of that because if we're going to talk about suffering and doubt this morning, what I really want us to do and need us to do is to talk about it from the inside, And what I mean by that is that I feel like a lot of Christians, when they talk about it, when they talk about suffering, they talk about it from the outside. They kind of are looking at it as this thing that's separate from their lives. It's kind of abstracted. It's a problem that they're trying to explain a solution to for you. And and maybe that's because they haven't been through suffering, or maybe it's because they have, but they haven't felt permission to really inhabit it. But But I don't think that's just not helpful about suffering and doubly so about doubt and the kind of doubts that you wrestle with, that I've wrestled with in the midst of suffering. Christians tend to want to rush to fixing doubts and removing doubts and answering doubts in a way that's actually, I think, destructive 
because the truth is you can't fix suffering. There is no sermon that I can give, or even someone like Ben who's better than me at this can give, no sermon that can fix the pain that you're feeling in the midst of suffering. And there's no sermon that can fix your doubt. There's maybe some helpful things to think about as you process through different stuff, but you're going to have to go on this journey through this thing yourself. And so what I really want to do this morning is just talk about that journey. And I want to say up front, because some of you are going to hate this this morning, because of that, I am intentionally not going to give you answers to the kind of questions that you have in the midst of suffering, right? Yes, like God is sovereign and he's beyond our ability to, you know, to comprehend and there's resurrection and new creation and all that stuff is true, but we're not going to talk about that today because while that can be helpful further down the road, there's this, this road you're going to have to walk first that's in the midst of that. And instead, what I want to do is just kind of give a rough sketch of the terrain of that place and that journey of some of the landmarks and some of the potential pitfalls, and what it's like to live in the middle of that journey. And as we do that, we're going to touch on Job and some other places. But as we talk about that journey, really what I want to do is just suggest that there's two categories of doubt that you can experience in the middle of that journey of suffering. Two categories. The first category is doubting your beliefs. I want to talk about doubting beliefs. See, I think there's a difference between doubting beliefs and doubting our faith, which is the second thing we're going to talk about. But they're connected, but faith is a trusting relationship. It's a relationship in which you're trusting this person, and for Christians, that's God. Beliefs are things we think about that person that we're trusting. And they're, they're connected, right? Some beliefs drive faith, and faith feeds back into beliefs, but they're not the same thing. And so in the first place, some beliefs, if you just think about human beings, in the first place, some beliefs you can change about somebody and it won't affect your relationship at all, right? Like, like, you know, I might think Isaac has great music taste. Sorry, I'm picking on you both services, but you're sitting right there. Um, and, and I might think he has really good taste in music and then he tells me about this band that he likes and I'm like, oh, like my belief is changing. <laughs> but, but I can, st- that doesn't change our relationship at all. And even beliefs that do cause us to wrestle with our relationship don't necessarily remove the relationship of trust. I think about kids growing up with their parents. And when kids are little, they think their parents know everything, and they think they can do everything, and that's the reason they trust their parents. And part of growing up for all children is realizing that those things aren't true. My kids are not here, so I can say, like, we don't believe everything, you know, or we don't know everything, we can't do everything. But hopefully, obviously some parents, what you come to understand about them is so broken that you can't, but the hope is that you grow up into a place where you can still trust your parents and still have that relationship with them, even as you recognize that those old beliefs were wrong. Suffering tests beliefs that we have about God. It challenges them. It causes us to doubt them. And that includes some wrong beliefs, and, and that is actually, when, in terms of doubting beliefs, the big thing I want to say is just that is, in many ways, a good thing. It's actually part of the point of the book of Job. So I, I know we read from Job 42. We'll touch on it a little, but like, I'm going to jump around in the book, so I'm sorry if you're the person that wants to underline stuff. But in Job, if you're not familiar with the story, Job's this guy 
that's a good guy that terrible stuff happens to. Like, he loses his possessions, and then he, he loses his home, and then his children die, and he's just wrecked by these hard things happening to him. And over the course of Job, what you come to realize is Job has a bunch of different things he believes are true about God, and some of those things actually get challenged over the course of the book. He's forced to confront some wrong beliefs about God that he has. For Job especially, it's one, the idea that God always works in these predictable ways that we can understand, and two, that God is the sort of guy that you can just sit down and convince to change his mind about things. Job wrestles with doubt about God in some very visceral ways, but his faith in God doesn't actually change. He's wrestling with beliefs and not his faith. And one of my favorite verses in Job so perfectly sums up Job as a character. It's Job thirteen fifteen, where he says of God, Job says, Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Which I just love. He's like, on the one hand, like, can you imagine a crazier profession of faith? And like, even if God kills me, I'm going to trust in him. But we're going to have words. <laughs> like, like, I think he's wrong about some stuff. and We've we got to hash this out together. So Job wrestles with that. That tension between great faith, but also some real doubts. And then God comes and meets Job. We're skipping over some stuff with some friends that are bad friends and stuff. But God comes and meets with Job. And really what God essentially communicates to Job is just, you have misunderstood who I am. Like he actually then changes those wrong beliefs of Job. That he won't make sense, you can't sit down and change his mind. And so Job's beliefs by the end of the book have changed about God. And that's why in what we read at the end, he says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. The book is about Job suffering and Job doubting and Job encountering God as he wrestles with doubt and ultimately having a clearer understanding of who God is. And that's actually the point of the book of Job, because at the end of it, Job gets restored in terms of his circumstances, right? He has, you know, his, his possessions restored to him and a home and they have more children. And so you read it and you're kind of like, in terms of outward appearances, it seems like everything's come full circle. And so what's the point of these, this 42 chapter long book that I read? And the answer is that while Job's situation might be back where it started, Job has changed. That the Job that's at the end of the book knows God in a way that is deeper and harder and truer. God, as I think about him, is different for me than he was 10 years ago and than he was six years ago. He is the same God but I feel like I know him in a way that is deeper and harder and truer. And that's because, in part, my beliefs have been challenged by the things I've experienced. I've doubted them. So in terms of that roadmap of the journey, or at least some of the landmarks of the journey, if you're in that place, or if you go through that place, let me suggest what I found is that I can actually sort those beliefs I've wrestled with into two categories, two groups. And the first is that there are some things that I believed and I doubted and I came out actually believing more strongly or realized I, <laughs> I was starting to believe and hadn't really believed. Beliefs that I, were actually strengthened over the course of doubt. I remember when Rebecca was born. I mentioned she was really early and the, the first few weeks of her life especially were brutal in that I mean, if you've never seen, you know, that a really early 
premature baby. I mean, like, you can see her heart beating through her chest, and she would, like, forget to stop breathing every hour or two, and <laughs> you'd have to, like, shake, you know, it's like, it's like you're watching your kid, like, die, and then, like, shaking them back to life over and over, and I remember it was, like, two days into it, and I was just done, and, and I had to get out of the hospital, and so I'm, like, I'm going to go somewhere, and I go out, and it's raining, and I walk up to my car, and I realize I left my keys back in the hospital room, and so I just sit on the, the hood of my car in the rain with the, you know, the lights there and just sit there. And I remember just saying to God, um, I remember saying, God, you are stronger than me and you're going to do what you want at the end of this. But if you try to take her from me, I'm going to fight you every step of the way. And I just sat there and then God spoke. And I'm not an audible voice of God, guys, but, you know, God spoke to my heart and just said, Eric, the thing you're going to have to learn in all of this is that that love that you have for your daughter is the kind of love that I have for you. And I did not get it at that point, but, but I clearly remember that night because it was a moment when I started going through this long process of doubting God's love and realizing that I had never really, I mean, of course, you know, right? I mean, I grew up in the church, like, yeah, God loves you, you know, but I mean, and you know, and I could have even said that in a really theologically astute way by this point, because I'm like in seminary, but, but, you know, but realizing that like, I hadn't really believed that. And, and in doubting it, I began to come to understand in a much deeper way what that meant and that that was true. Doubt has caused me to believe things like God's love more deeply. And I'm still learning that to be <laughs> that one especially. And I say that, I want to I name that that happens, that doubt can strengthen belief. Here's why. Because I want to stress to you, if you're in the middle of doubt, that it's important not to equate that doubt with rejecting a belief or to move too quickly from the process of beginning to doubt to just deciding that you're going to change your beliefs. Doubt is uncomfortable for us, and some Christians have been told it's a sin, which only makes that worse, and doubt is just an unsteady place to live, and it's so tempting to just be like, you know what, I'm going to rush by it. Like, I've had, I mean, I'm a pastor too, like, I've had those conversations with people that are like, pastor, I read an article on the internet last week, and so I googled a couple things, and everything about Christianity is wrong, and I'm leaving the faith, and you're just like, Slow down. Like, let's, let's kind of work through and just sit in that doubt and talk about it for a while. Spend time with it. And that's because it's possible that you will actually return to some of the things that you believed or realize that you're beginning to believe them for the first time. And then you're going to realize that some of your beliefs about God were wrong. You're going to realize that some of them were not true, and you're going to have to process through that. I just want to name the big one when we're talking about suffering and doubt. Although there's lots of doubts you're going to wrestle with, but I feel like the big one, as I've talked with so many people in the last years about this, is that in one way or another, we believe in our hearts that because we know God or obey him or trust him, that we won't have to suffer, or at least won't have to suffer significantly or for long. And I don't just mean, like, yes, there's the extreme, you know, like the, the prosperity teacher guy on TV that's going to, you know, offering you a yacht. Like, we can all probably say that that's wrong. But, but I'm talking about, like, the therapeutic idea that because God is love, that means he wants you to have a happy, easy life. 
or the moral idea that if you just kind of behave well and, you know, do a good job living obediently, that you're at least going to suffer less than those bad people that, that aren't as well behaved. Or the way I feel like we try to, we give these promises when we try to encourage obedience. I've had a couple conversations lately with people thinking about growing up within evangelicalism, right? And the way we told teenagers that like, hey, like, as long as you like don't have sex, like you're going to have like this awesome marriage and everything's going to be great and easy and and even culturally. Like we we think this in the church because our culture believes it, right? Like the foundational American myth is that like if you just work hard enough and you're just clever enough, like no circumstance can't be overcome and you can't kind of flourish and have a great life. All of those are versions of the idea that if you do certain things, then God will work in the world in a way that's going to spare you from suffering. One of the things that multiple people said to me in the midst of Elizabeth's cancer was, I just can't believe that God would let something like this happen to something like her. And I, again, I'm a pastor. I never said this. And I appreciate that it's hard to know what to say when people are grieving. But I just wanted to be like, really? (laughs) Do we live in the same world? I mean, even the same faith where like, you know, our Savior got crucified and Peter says, don't be surprised, brothers, when you face fiery trials of every kind as if something unusual is happening. The reality of Christianity is that we will, of course, face enormous suffering. But if our hearts have bought the lie that we won't, that is going to be a deeply challenging belief that we're going to have to wrestle through in the middle of suffering. I want to name that to you especially, that specific lie, because one of the things I was most grateful for, and that before she died, Elizabeth was most grateful for, and we would talk about this, is the fact that even though in some ways we maybe got some of that growing up within Christianity, that in our formative years, especially like at Grace Chapel and places like that, people deconstructed that lie over and over and told us the truth about it so that we didn't have to face that crisis of belief. But that said... Well, maybe it's that belief that has to change in the middle of doubt. There's probably going to be other ones too. I mean, there are beliefs that I had, at least in my gut, that have absolutely changed over the course of suffering. Um, My sense that I could kind of easily understand what God is doing, maybe for me most especially, um, my sense that the right answers could actually help very much, (laughs) like that they had more power than they actually have when people are in the midst of hard things. So sometimes your beliefs will be strengthened, and sometimes they'll be changed. And there's two things I want to say about that. The reason I want to name all of that is, one, it's so crucial for you to recognize, if you're experiencing those doubts of belief, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know which one it's going to be until you've gone through the process. And that is why churches, first of all, need to make space for people to go through doubt. Because the problem is that churches see people doubting and they assume that they're going to reject their belief and so they try to stop them from doubting. But what might actually be happening is that they're going to end up having a deeper, truer sense of that belief. And you actually prevent the possibility of that when you try to cut doubt off before it happens. And that's also why if you're feeling those doubts, you need to Take the time to sit in them and wrestle with them and process through them. But you don't know how it's going to turn out. And like I said earlier, that that process is good and healthy. That process of doubting and wrestling through those things and maybe changing some of them is a good and healthy process. It's actually part of why scripture speaks of suffering as purifying us. It's part of how suffering purifies us is that doubt. So that's doubting our beliefs And that in many ways is a hard thing, but it's a good thing if we do it faithfully. 
But of course, you might be thinking that's still assuming that relationship. That's still assuming faith, which is why I want to then talk about doubting our faith. That there's that deeper question of what about when it's not just these beliefs about God that we have? What about when we actually, what we're doubting is our very relationship with him, is is God himself and wanting to walk away from him. And I don't mean like doubting whether God exists at this point, to be clear, right? Like that's, a, that's actually a belief thing. I mean like doubting God at that gut level because we do this huge disservice to people and to ourselves because all the books we have about doubt tend to, to be about ideas and about, you know, like an intellectual thing. And, and that's beliefs, but there is this emotional level of doubt too this relational level of doubt. And that's what I really mean when I talk about doubting our faith. What I know is that in my moments of deepest doubt, while maybe I had intellectual questions, that really what was happening was that I was angry at God. And I was angry at God because I felt hurt and wounded by God. This is the important part and the part that some of you are going to really not like, but that I think is so crucial as you go through this process. I felt hurt and wounded by God because God had hurt and wounded me. Christians recoil at a statement like that. They try to do everything they can to detach God from the situation they're they're in and your pain and just say like, no, 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 like that's not right. I mean, I remember someone coming up to me and saying, I know God doesn't have anything to do with Elizabeth's cancer. (laughs) And I was just like, what does that mean? Like, do you mean that he didn't number the days of her life? The Bible says that, you know, do you mean he's not sovereign over her body? Do you mean he couldn't heal her? (laughs) I mean, what do you even mean by that? We say that, Because it's really hard for a lot of us to admit the fact that in the Bible story, on the one hand, God does hate evil and death, and he has worked in Jesus to triumph over it, and he will ultimately destroy it. All of that stuff is true, but on the other hand, in his mysterious providence, he sets the course of our lives in such a way that we often experience painful things that are from his hand. The Bible is very comfortable talking about God that way, even though we really struggle with it. Job is. His friends try to give him some easy answers. And in chapter 12, talking about his situation, Job, he's he's like, no, no, no. He says, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Scripture is very willing to honestly come to God and say, God, I feel hurt by you because you've hurt me. I mean, I'm just going to read this out of the Bible so that everybody, we're clear about this. Lamentations 3, okay? The the book of Lamentations is this long, pained poem that's written by the prophet Jeremiah to God after he watches the city of Jerusalem sacked and his friends and neighbors slaughtered and terrible things happen. There's this beautiful, hopeful part right in the middle, and you can spend some time there, and it's sweet. But the rest of the book is just written from that place of suffering and agony. And so I want to read you. This is a prophet of God talking to God on behalf of God's people about what God has done to him, okay? I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. 
Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrows. And and I could keep going. Like That's like a third of, of of that lament. That is God's prophet, again, speaking to God about how he feels about God because of the way that God's providence has worked in his life. I want to name that for you. Because I want us to be real for a minute. First, I want to talk to you if you're in the place where you're feeling that. And then secondly, I want to talk to you if you're not and you're a Christian. But first, if we can just be real, if you're in a place of doubt, often what we're wrestling with is not ultimately God as an idea or ideas about God. It's ultimately God as a person and the ways that we feel hurt by him. I remember years ago, I had a friend who was in, he had gone through some tough life stuff and kind of his, you know, career and plans and stuff had fallen apart. Um, But he reached out to me, you know, I mean, I I was aware that this stuff was happening, but he reached out to me. He's like, well, we've got to meet. And so I sat down with him and he's like, well, I'm, I've been reading this book, this book by Bart Ehrman about the reliability of New Testament manuscripts. And so I'm, you know, I've got these questions and, you know, thinking about like not being a Christian. And I mean, we talked a little bit and I just, you know, he's talking about these intellectual things and I see the pain in his eyes and I'm like, brother, can we just stop and can I just ask you, don't you feel bitter towards God? Like, like, don't you feel mad at him? Because, because if so, and I think I get why you would, that's what we need to be talking about here. Like, none of this stuff about, like, third century Roman scribal practices is going to help you at all with what's going on in your heart. I'd ask you to maybe admit and sit in that place of wrestling emotionally and relationally with God. And then while we're being real, Christians, this is the other reason that you need to allow space for doubt and space even for these kinds of doubts in our communities. This is a thing that I found as I walked through some of my darkest seasons. When you try to express that hurt and woundedness that you feel, people immediately rush to the answers, right? God has a reason. He's going to work all things for good. You're going to see her again someday. And those are all true things. And you know what? At this point, as I'm, you know, farther along in the journey and going through things, like, I find all of those ideas helpful to think about at times. But in those dark moments of pain, that was deeply unhelpful because I was wounded because in many ways God and his providence had wounded me and I just need to be able to experience and name that and be with God in that. And, and what people were trying to do is take that away. And so we as Christians need to allow people to be in that place as well. So that said, though, I know I haven't really answered the question you're probably asking if you're in the middle of that, which is, what do I do? If I'm in that place of doubting my faith, of feeling hurt, wrestling with God, what do I do then? Well, let me give you two encouragements. And the first one is to wrestle with God, to really wrestle with God. Do you guys know what the word Israel means? (laughs) It means wrestles with God. (laughs) Like, I mean, Jacob 
Um, in this dark night of the soul, he encounters this being that's God, and he wrestles with him all through the night, and he can't overcome him, but he refuses to give in to him, and he leaves that place with a blessing and a limp and a new name, which becomes the name of God's people. What do you think it means that God's name for his people is people who wrestle with me? What do I mean by wrestling with God? Well, on one level, this isn't all of it, but on one level, I mean just be willing to bring your doubts and struggles into the presence of God. Don't go away from him, but rather be in his presence as you doubt and struggle. In the book of Job, that's actually a big part of how Job finds healing. He doesn't get answers, but God comes and he experiences his presence. And Job then, in, in, in 42.5, he says, I, have heard, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. So experiencing, just seeing and beholding God, that's part of it. But more than that, here's what I mean by wrestling with God. It is easy when you are hurt to just walk away from God, to say, forget you, I'm mad, I'm, I'm wounded, I'm done with this. And if you're in that place, let me just, as someone who empathizes with that pain, let me just say, I get that, but friend, there is no hope in that. There is no chance of restoration, no chance of healing. I mean, nothing good can come of that. It's just this cathartic moment of release, right? As you raise your middle finger and storm away from God and, you know, the suffering is still there and life is still broken. I get where your heart is, but instead, wrestling, which is what I'm calling you to do, wrestling means coming to God and grabbing onto him and saying, I am not letting go until we work this out. It's saying, I won't release you until you bless me, which is what Jacob says. It's saying, I'm going to push against you and press into you and struggle with you and be pushed against by you, and I'm going to stay in that place. I'm going to stay there with my hurt and my anger and my pain. That is a hard place to live, a hard calling to lean into, but there is the potential for enormous beauty in that kind of wrestling. Because, because it's about, like, as you're wrestling with God, you're actually still with God. I mean, you think about the story of Jacob, and from another perspective, it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Because here's Jacob, right, wrestling and, you know, and trying to overcome God. And, it, and, and, but at the same time, the God of the universe is here with his arms wrapped around him, holding him, right? Jacob's face is pressed into the chest of God in that moment as he strives with God. It's a place of agony and intimacy at the same time. So wrestle with God. And then the other encouragement I'd give you is to make sure that that God that you're wrestling with is Jesus. Make sure that that God you're wrestling with is Jesus. And this is as close to an answer as I'm going to come this morning. And it's not a like fix-it solution answer. But I remember a few years ago I was leading, uh, I had a conversation with someone in the youth group of the church that I pastor because our, our youth guy has me come in once a semester and do these like question and answer times. And I knew this girl, she was great. We had great conversations, but she was deeply wrestling with God. Um, she, she had lost her mother at a young age and then her stepsister had died in a car accident and she was just, you know, very much in the middle of that. But I remember, in, you know, as we're talking, she, she gets exasperated and she says, no, 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 pastor, like, I'm fine with Jesus. I love Jesus, but God is who I have a problem with. And 
That's theologically problematic, but that is so true of what we actually do. An essential part of wrestling with God is recognizing that Jesus is that God. Scripture does not offer a solution to the suffering in our lives. Again, yes, it offers an ultimate hope of new creation and resurrection and God can work restoration. Like, all of that is true. But in the moment of suffering, there is no solution to end that pain right now in Scripture. There is no promise, no sermon, no text that can take that away from you. But what Scripture does instead is it acknowledges that and then places right next to it, without ever denying that suffering, the suffering of God. In Jesus... God entered this world full of suffering that he rules over. And in Jesus, God suffered just like one of us. Suffers betrayal and loss and rejection and pain and death, which is a suffering that you know, none of us have actually even gone through yet. And in Jesus, God somehow suffers mysteriously for us in all of that, working our salvation and showing his love by suffering as one of us. In Jesus, what we find is that for, for Christians, when we say, like, who is God, right? Like, who, who is God? I mean, the, the first thing that's supposed to come to our mind is this guy, you know, nailed to this cross, gurgling blood in his lungs, like, struggling not to die in th- that agony that that is God. When we wrestle with God, it is a God who, when his arms are wrapped around us, those are arms that bear the scars that were pierced there whose side still has that wound. It is the God who knows suffering and pain and death. The the heartbeat you hear pressed against his chest like that heart stopped beating. See, what we want is for the tension of suffering to be removed, to, to just have it be resolved and have it be solved. And that's impossible. But what scripture does is it puts that tension of suffering sort of in tension with Jesus. It says, yes, this world is hard, and terrible things are going to happen here, and you will at times feel wounded by God. But also, there's a real sense in which God is unavoidably good. In in creation and in provision, we could talk about all that stuff, but chiefly in Jesus. You can't look at Jesus and not recognize this deep goodness and love in his pain, in his scars. He meets us and he suffers as one of us and beside us and for us. And so you can't look at the world and not wrestle in a sense with God. But you also can't look at Jesus and not in a sense recognize that goodness and love. At the end of all of that, here's what I found. As I've kind of walked in many ways that path. I don't have answers, as I've said already, to, to your doubts. I don't have all the answers to your doubts of belief. And I, there is no way to give answers to those doubts of faith. But what I have continued to find as I've wrestled in that place is Jesus and the beauty of what he's done and his presence as one who suffered for and beside me. I've continued to meet with Jesus and there are still days that are deeply hard and I am still very much grieving, but I have found that to be enough. So maybe that's enough. Let me pray for us. Father, you know my heart is heavy for friends here who have been in hard places or who are in hard places. I feel for them in their pain. 
and struggle. Father, I know that you feel that pain and struggle too. And so I just pray, Lord, um, I mean, I just pray that you'd be near them and with them and present with them as they doubt, as they suffer, as they lash out at you, that you would continue to be close to them, speaking your love, letting them know you. Pray this for myself too. Amen.